There was a specific instance where I was building a prop for an OMG video, so like a kid-directed music video that we were doing, mm. and I was quickly trying to build like a TV out of cardboard, and I look over and they're shooting it already with Calder's TV that he built out of cardboard. And I was like, oh, I was literally cutting, I was putting this together. And then like at lunch, I sat down next to him and I was like, hey, like, that was crazy. I was building a TV, you were building a TV, you finished it quicker, like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, man. He's like, well, the, the thing that I've learned in this industry is that like, it's not a prop if it's not ready for camera. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the About Story Podcast. My name is Nathan Johnson, and today I'm joined by Jeffrey Prosser. Jeffrey, good man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Jeffrey, you are a writer, director, and recently I know you've been working on a lot of music videos. Let's hear a little bit about you. So yeah, I came to LA um, actually to go to Biola University. Mm. So I came out in 2013 to go to film school. I did two and a half years at Biola and then transitioned into life in LA after that, like a lot of uh, film students do after college. Yeah, and where did um, you move from? I moved from uh, Visalia, California, so okay. my hometown. So yeah, yeah. so I grew up in the Central Valley. We didn't have like a lot of film there at the time, and but we did have a lot of theater arts. So I actually grew up doing a lot of theater, came out to film school, left my theater days behind me a little bit, and started learning about how like to direct cinematically and all that in school and like as like a filmmaker by hobby mm -hmm. all through my youth but it wasn't until I came to like film school that I started learning how to professionally put things together you know with crews and stuff like that yeah it's very different it's a whole different beast yes yeah, yeah. I mean like I was like born of the DIY generation mm -hmm. you know so I was putting together I literally was like going to Home Depot and buying like rails and making the sliders nice. I was that guy you know in my hometown <laughs> like everybody else was like what are you doing and I was like God, we got to get that nice smooth mm -hmm. shot you know yeah so that was kind of the way that I made movies with friends you know I'd get my theater actor friends together and we would make like a very almost thx inspired fight film that we did like like a laboratory kind of style like sci-fi film inspired by early thx yeah. one mm -hmm. yeah. George Lucas. yeah early george mm -hmm. lucas stuff yeah. so like that was like something that i like made when i was in high school and then we kind of went from there to like i was making like thrillers and stuff with my friends so i was i was really into making like psychological thrillers and like fight <laughs> movies in high school and stuff that was the best yeah, yeah. and so then from there it kind of like led to me getting introduced into the art of movie mm. making a little bit more when I went to a summer school in Valencia okay. at CalArts. And it's called um, CISA, California State Summer School of the Arts. And I went in 2009. It was actually like a really um, a big moment for me because like we started shooting on all these different formats. Like I learned how to shoot on like 16 and uh, Super 8 and all these things. And I had never shot on film before, before that. So yeah. at 16, you know, I walked in and thought I had known how to make movies and they were like, oh, have you ever shot a film? And so, and then there was also like found footage classes where we were like editing, you know, together stuff and learning experimental forms of filmmaking. So that was kind of the moment where I went like, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I don't actually want to go to school for theater and be an actor. I want to actually like make films and, and whether they're experimental or art house or full-on narrative I'm interested in this like this is what I want to do so yeah it's like around 16 years old that I knew that that's what I wanted to do and I decided I was going to find a film school and come out to LA and 
make it a thing. And what, what brought you to Biola? Biola was, you know, on a, on a list of schools I was checking out. My sister had actually gone there. She had gone there for communications disorders, so nothing related to the arts, mm-hmm. but she was always talking it up and I was visiting her when she was like away to college and stuff. So I, it was on my radar. I was interested in it for its hands-on education or not hands-on, I guess I was like, it was very personal. It seemed very mm-hmm. personal when I visited the campus. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go to like USC or UCLA or right. something like that. And I applied to all those schools, didn't get into the film program. Mm. And I was like, well, there, here's this school right here. And they're offering me scholarships. And there's a lot of educators that seem like really hands-on. So it just really drew me in. Yeah. And then they were all about like, we want the students to be um, given proper attention and mm-hmm. and really heard. And that environment was just like, I was like, cool, let's go, you know? So I came out and I was a transfer student. So like I came in from doing theater for two years in college. And that was really what I was studying. Like I was doing like Shakespeare and Mm. all of my, you know, mentors at the time were like, you're gonna go to be an actor, right? Like you're auditioning. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm going to to a film school. Like that's what I want to do. So that was like a really strange time for me because like I, I really like felt compelled to make this sort of like, transition and do this with my career and I was still pretty young obviously and I had a lot of years of experience acting Mm. and so it was like a weird thing where it's like I knew I needed to do this but everyone around me yeah yeah, my parents and everybody was supportive it was like my family knew that I was like just a creative person and wanted to do what I wanted to do but I think it was just like for me there was this feeling of like leaving something behind walking away from doing so much theater and being involved in that Mm. so that was like a, a, a big shift, you know? And then I came out to LA and I was like, all right, well, we're here and music videos kind of fell into my lap in a way. Like I'm not, um, that's still not like the one thing I wanna do. And it's it's just something that like, I, it's a community I kind of walked into. When yeah. I, right when I came out to LA, I found myself in the middle of a big uh, epicenter of music video directors with this mm. nonprofit camp, uh, OMG Everywhere. And I had volunteered at it and it was kind of like, what set the stage for a lot of other things that are going on with, for me professionally now and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's it like working on music videos? Like what's kind of the process? So usually an artist will approach with a brief. Um, it The brief will usually consist of like, here's the the song, you know, usually like a, a, a link to a private song, unreleased song. If it's through like a big label, especially they'll have like all these like portals you have to go through and it's really annoying because if you need to listen to the song over and over, you have to like be on this weird link mm. and you can't just like listen, download it and listen to it. Um, so that'll be kind of like one thing that will be on the brief is like a link and then it'll say like the budget that they have allocated for the single and then they might have some creative ideas or notes that the, the artist is like interested in exploring with this or it might just be an, a description of why they wrote the song mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll send that out and they'll be looking for people to pitch on that. So that brief will come to me and then I'll be writing on it. So I'll, I'll do my take on what I think would be a cool music video for the song, usually in a pretty visual form. Like you don't really want to make your music video brief extremely like wordy literature, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. They, they want to get something that looks cool. Cause that's what they're going for with, you know, they, they wrote the song and they want a visual. So you're, you're pitching the visual, but you're also, you can include some notes in there, you know, and, and really tell a story. Hmm. And so that's usually what I try to do is I try to kind of like package what ideas came to me when I was listening to it on repeat. Mm. And 
it always feels like a little bit like a puzzle you're trying to solve when you're listening to like a song and you're like, okay, what is the movie for this? You know, or like, I don't know the way I, I look at it is like, how, like, how can I build on this? Like, not just like, what's the perfect music video for this song? Cause then you get, you know, kind of overwhelmed, but I'm more looking at it. Like, uh, what is like a, a way I can kind of like take what I'm hearing here and actually open it up a little bit and that usually turns into some kind of a treatment that has like a lot of visual references along with like an arc, maybe like a page that just shows generally the look and the feel and the vibe kind of of the video mm -hmm. and the artists like, I mean, a lot of those artists are getting like tons of these. So you want something that's pretty eye catching right away and kind of pulls them in. Cause mm. it might just be a stack, just like a lot of like Hollywood producers have a stack of scripts, you know, like a lot of uh, agents and managers of artists will just have like, stack of treatments come into their inbox and it's like they don't know you you know it's just got to be eye-catching yeah so do you work with like an artist or do you have a maybe like a dp that you work with pretty often like how does what's your creative process like there yeah so usually like the the process of finding the team comes either like right after i like book the job or maybe while i'm in the process of finding out i'll start reaching out mm -hmm. um it depends on the scale of what we're making, like if it's got a kind of a medium sized budget, I mean, music videos typically are known for not having great budgets, but like, you know, if you're getting, if you're able to work with a little bit, you can go to a production company and get the video kind of set up there. If you have a relationship with a production company, that's something that I would do is like kind of have them bid it out for you and make mm. a budget. Um, and that can kind of like help you figure out, okay, how much room in the budget is there for my dream DP or versus like one of my collaborators that'll do it for a deal or like, you know, will really like come out for this just because they're excited to work with me or something like that. Right. But I like to work with like the consistent teams. So I, yeah. I usually try it makes to it build. a lot easier when you have that yeah. relationship and they know what you were thinking, you know what they're thinking and you're just on the same page and you don't have to like argue or like, oh, well, that's not quite right. But if you're just like totally. work with the same team, you, it, you gel. Yeah. Yeah. So I've definitely like been trying to find some common collaborators with like production designers, director of photography, like the key roles, you know, but it's important to like work with new people too. And I feel mm -hmm. like my whole approach with music videos is that they're kind of like practice in a way like they're, I mean, it's probably not the best way to say it cause you're not practicing with other people's money, but you know, it's like you're, you're getting an opportunity to experiment visually and create something really interesting. Cause it's a more risky medium. It, it allows for people to like, like music videos are okay with you going more towards the creative edge than a commercial. Right. Like for, it can be more example. artistic, a little yeah. more avant-garde or different. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. if you come up with a concept that really pushes something that's really on like someone maybe hasn't seen something like that before, you can get a team around it pretty excited to try that and maybe experiment with you. So that's usually the approach for me is like, I'm like, who would want to go down on this journey with me? You know, like this is going to be, um, a crazy one. I'll use an example. Like I had like a music video that's going to come out in a couple weeks and it's been a journey. Like it's right. been like a long post process months, if not years, <laughs> but it's for a friend of mine who's, who's the artist. So it's like allowed for us to take our time with it. I mean, the video is like extremely simple and complex at the same time. Like there's all these shots within shots, kind of like, you know, mm, a Russian okay. doll, like a, like a continual zoom out and in order to do that, we had to shoot this room, this bedroom, like over and over and reset dress it. And we had to make it look like it was over a long period of time that this room is evolving. So I had to not only have my PD like resetting that room a million times and making that story be told through the 
pieces of the details that are inside this bedroom that are changing. It's supposed to be the artist's bedroom over mm -hmm. like 10 years. And then also the the DP and the gaffer had to be collaborating on like time of day because like we were shooting in a house that had windows on east and west and we could control the light from either side, right? Because you can, you can be like, okay, this is morning, so we're gonna black out this window and shoot through light through this one. But we had to like tell a story visually of like, what time of day are we at too? And we're just shooting in this room for two days straight, just just finessing lighting and it's the exact same frame every single time, but we're having to make that same frame look like a totally different mm. space and time of day and stuff like that. So that was just like a huge trust on my collaborators on the production designer and the, and the DP. So my friend Lindsay and Pedro that just mm -hmm. did so, so good, like really came in. But that was, that was like, it's a great example. This video is just a huge team collab. Like it was, it was something that just required everyone on set had like a job. It was like, you need to be focused on this detail and I'll be focused on this detail because it's going to be, uh, we're moving through time, you know, like as we do each shot, it's just going to slightly evolve almost mm. like a stop. It's like shooting like a stop motion mm, thing yeah. in a way, you know, cause like camera never moved same room like 50 different setups yeah know? yeah that's really cool yeah so that was like a challenge and just how do we do this unusual concept here it's definitely a vfx challenge that right. that's part of why it took so long to finish the song's called freeze time so we wanted to do a song that feels like a time capsule so we're moving through time in the space this crew that hopped on was like stoked on the idea and that was that was a lot of why they they wanted to be a part of it awesome so what are some of the other music videos that maybe highlights for you that you've worked on? It was like 2017, I made a music video for a band called Too Many Zoos. And um, that was shot all in one night in Brooklyn. There was some pickups. It's a long story, but basically like I had been chasing the band. I really wanted to make a music video for them. Oh, so you were approaching them? I was approaching yeah. oh, them because okay. at the time I had no music videos, no legit music videos to my name. And I, I know how this, this industry works and you have to, you know, force your way in and be like, this is what I want to do. And I was getting involved in this nonprofit and making music videos with kids. And I was around all these music video directors. And I was just like inspired by everything that all of them were doing. And so I was like, okay, this is a space I want to like be in. Who would I want to make a music video for? And this artist was just like a YouTube band that like was blowing up. Their whole thing is that they play a genre called brass house. So they like mix brass busking music with house music and i thought that was just really interesting and creative and there's all these ideas coming to mind so over time i kind of like reached out cold and got to, to form a relationship with them like met them in la when they were doing a show kind of slowly met their manager and then i just started sending their manager treatments and the manager would be like okay well we have this other song you want to write on that and i wrote like probably like 10 treatments before there was one that stuck and they had a budget at the right time and they were like, all right, we can do this like in New York, but we need to shoot it in like two weeks. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I actually called up my my really close friend and producer, Andrew Schundler, who I'd worked with like on many projects. And he was like, all right, I'm flying out there ahead of you. And he's from New Jersey. So he like landed in New Jersey and like just started setting up the whole like where we were gonna shoot, trying to lock down locations, lock down crew. And I arrived like maybe two days after he did and we just went right into it, so. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that one was like a pretty run and gun shoot for what it was, like we were doing a lot of like action f dance fighting, like kind of like old Michael Jackson videos. Mm, okay. um, and I had my friend who's on Broadway choreograph it all. So he brought his friends from Aladdin Broadway out to dance in the video after they had done two 
performances that day and did a full all-nighter with us in this like warehouse underground in Dumbo. And we were just like blocking, shooting, blocking, shoot. Like we literally had no time to spare. So we were just moving setup to setup. Yeah, I felt bad for the DP on that one. He, was, he had the camera strapped to him and he was just like, oh, it was a really fun one so that was like the kind of my first like really ambitious entry Mm -hmm. into music videos and that one won an award at the nifty festival up in seattle and so that was you know inspiring to me to be like okay like i can do music videos you know like i'll do i'll try to break into more of this and for a while i i didn't really like book a lot of music videos i was doing like a lot of commercial stuff that kind of got kind of pulled into that direction and obviously like that's great money and that was what I needed to get kind of going anyways but I was you know working towards what I wanted to do next and so I reached out to another artist friend of mine Waju who is like a rapper he has always has music and projects that he's like kind of working on so I knew he'd probably have something and that was where this um this video that we've been working on that I was mentioning earlier came from so sometimes it's like, I mean, for me, I guess like in my experience, a lot of my music video projects are long drawn out, ambitious and with friends mm-hmm. who are artists, but there are, there are artists that will come and go that are, that are like people I don't know, you know, that, you know, here through the grapevine or send briefs in and stuff too. Yeah. Your tenacity to like, really, like, I really want to do this. And so how do I go about doing this? So how do I, how do I, you know, connect with this band that I really like? And I feel like a lot of people w- would give up. So yeah. I think that's actually really uh, impressive that you would go through those lengths to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, I guess it's a quality of mine where I'm like, I want to do this. I'm going to just start. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, with that, with that whole situation, um, you know, I was, I was young too. I was, there's some naivete in there too. I think I was just like, oh, they, they need music videos. Yeah. I make, I make films. So it just seemed like, you know, why would they say no? You know? So I was just reaching out and I think. Yeah, now I'm more I'm more like calculated with how I do right. cold reach out, always trying to kind of like think, well, how do I prove that I can do that right. so that when I go to them, I'm not wasting their time or mine. Right. But, you know, I think on that one, I was just like kind of got lucky. They needed something and they were like, hey, this guy is hungry. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, definitely like. Sometimes you just get, get your foot in the door. Just got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I was like, I don't I knew I didn't want to just be you know, making ads, you know, I was like, mm. if I'm going to be out here making ads, I also want to be out here making creative, mm-hmm. crazy stuff. You know, I was really inspired by those directors, the Daniels, and they recently did the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those guys actually like I met them as I started getting into music videos because they started the camp that um, the OMG camp that I run. So oh, really? They're, oh, yeah. Okay. So they're a part of that. And there's all, all these other directors that have come through that camp too, like Warren Fu and Hiro Mirai and all those guys. Like they all started it in the early 2000s together. So they had their own little community and they were like, you know, really trying to keep a community with each other because they realized that when they're directing, they're never seeing each other. They're never on each other's sets, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. they're, they're, they're hearing about each other's work, but they're not seeing each other. And so they're, they're trying to form that community and also do it in a way where it's like, Hey, how can we make music videos with kids? Cause like, or mm-hmm. how, I think at, thir- at the time it was like, how do we make uh, art with kids or just let the mm-hmm. kids direct? Like what happens if we just like tell them that they're allowed to make a movie and we just like help them do it. And then yeah. their idea comes to life. So that was kind of how this camp was born and they all found community in each other doing that together every summer. And it kind of grew over time and became this like nonprofit that does camps every summer. So I just stumbled into that like right as I kind of came out of Biola and I was like, this is a 
this is a thing. Like I used to follow all these guys on Vimeo, you know? <laughs> so I was just like, I felt like I was kind of in, a, in an epicenter of the music video community, which is like kind of true. It's music video community is really small, you know, take the mm. film industry and just take a tiny drop mm. of it. And that's music videos. So everybody kind of does know everybody. And so there's this like aspect of like, well, I'm in the room with these people, but I don't have any music videos. Yeah. You know? so I think I was just like, you know, I need to like, I need to like make something, you right, know, and I'm yeah. inspired by them and like they did it and like they're, they're just, you know, making it happen with nothing. And that was something that I, I noticed with their work too, is like the Daniels started out with like nothing mm. and they, you know, they came out to LA from film school and we're like, let's not think how do we raise money to make this big idea? Let's go like reverse it and be like, we have only this much money. Okay, well, how do we use what we have to make the idea with that? And yeah, the best we can the do. The DIY that. kind of yeah. mindset, yeah. you know, of going like, we're gonna, what's the best way we can utilize what we already have access to? Yeah. So I, I live by that too, you know, like <laughs> filmmaking yeah. is hard and you know, you you have to always be leveraging your mm. resources and, and your relationships with people. So, yeah, so if I'm, like, really, I, I can tell when I'm, like, buzzing on an idea, like, I'm going to make this, yeah. then the next question is, like, who is mm. going to help me do it? And it's also, like, what, when is it happening and how are we going to, you know, you start put, putting together the package of the train going on the track mm -hmm. and that that's the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, for me at least, you know, it's just like it just starts rolling yeah. into motion and I don't like to second guess it too much because then that's when you... You know, maybe this isn't worth doing, you mm -hmm. know, and that's where you can get kind of caught and stuck. And I've had, I've had projects derail like that before yeah. too. So I you learn from all that. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. What's it like kind of working like directly with the artist? Is there any time where you guys have either like a conflict or the artist wants to do something else? Like how do you have the creative, like how do you share your creative vision with their creative vision uh, for the music video? Right. Such a good question. I mean, honestly, the artist is like the client, I mm -hmm. guess. You know, so it's really important to me if I'm going to make like a music video for an artist that I'm not like, hey, I'm going to make you a short film with your money. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's not what they're hiring you for. It's kind of at the end of the day, a music video is like an advertisement for a song or for a single. Hmm. You know, so you have to still kind of keep that sober mindset of like this is their song and they have a vision for who they want to be presented as. So I always try to ask a lot of questions going in and be like, OK, well, like what did this what came, what, what inspired the song? What inspired the music? What's the bigger direction that you're going for with your album right now? If you have an album, you know, sometimes they don't, but what's the bigger like dream and direction that you're kind of going towards? And some artists that they have answers to all those questions, some, but it's, I find that like a lot of them are really looking for creative direction. Like mm. a lot of them are like, Hey, I write music and what kind of ideas do you have? You know, they like kind of throw it back at you. So it's, it's definitely a collaboration. They're the closest collaborator in a music video, I, I think. And it's important, I think, to have the ability to just have like a direct connection to them. For me, at least, you know, like some, yeah. some music videos, you might be working with like a really cloudy artist that's really hard to reach. <laughs> and then you have to go through like 20 people right. to just talk to them and get approvals and that's fine. But man, is it just like so much easier if you can just get that direct line because then mm. you can get right to the source and be like, what are you really trying to do here? So I try to keep it very collaborative and I, I even like have them sit in on edits and stuff at the mm. end. Like I just don't, I don't want any surprises and I don't want them to, you know, all of a sudden be like, oh, I actually don't like this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like they have the power to shelve the video, you know, mm. they, they have the power to, to be like, actually, I don't want to put this out. So I think it's just super important to be like, 
clear about the ideas. And, and then if I'm like extremely clear and verbose about what I'm thinking, then they will make in my experience, they'll trust me more and be more willing to let me try something really mm. unusual. Yeah. Cause I'll be like, yeah, I mean, that's the idea. Like we were going to do that crazy thing where we're going to have it all be like that. And then they're like, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're right. And we did talk about that. And just like anybody else, an artist can get cold feet and be like afraid to take a risk. Like, yeah. you know, music videos are like totally free form. Like you can have a music video be a performance video mm -hmm. or you can have it be a narrative or you can have it be somewhere in between and sometimes artists have an idea of what they want it to be like they're like i just want to perform i just want you to see a simple performance and introducing more ideas than that might be like a question mark for them and it's it's a it's a journey and if you if they're like into that you can kind of lean down that road but if they're not sure it's like a you can help to guide them maybe it's dialogue yeah yeah it's so. like do you you know and, that, and maybe it's maybe they are right and that's the thing is like mm. They, at the end of the day, like they might know best what their brand is. So mm -hmm. it is important, I think, to like really listen to them and be like, what? Okay, so you, you don't like, I'm just using a, a random example. Yeah. It's like, if you don't want to be, if you just want to be performing or you want it to be a one take performance or something like, what is the reason why mm -hmm. you're looking for that kind of content right now? Is it because you want it to like feel really realistic or is it because you want to, present yourself as a performer, like, you know, just trying to get to the root of what they're going for. And then you might be able to take a spin on it and make it even more unusual or like more interesting than what you've already seen out there. Yeah. Make it special. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Cause yeah. You know, we're competing with like so much content these days that I'm always thinking like, what's something I haven't seen. What's something that like, I would just be like surprised to see, you know, cause like, I'm not trying to just like take from everything and make a music video treatment, like a, mm. a mood board to everybody yeah. <laughs> else's work. I'm, I'm often trying to think of like, what's the direction to take this that's like definitely different mm -hmm. and would help this artist also to like what, that aligns with what the artist sees themselves to be right now and what they're trying, where they're trying to go and taking them to that is the complicated, you know, trigonometry of music video directing. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes they might not even know exactly where they're trying to go. And they might they, not. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can kind of start to try to speak their language and be yeah. like, okay, well you really like Prince. So mm -hmm. let's watch some Prince videos and like what, okay, like this are, you know, there's, there's a million ways you can kind of get in there, but you have to kind of level with them and, and really like try to figure out what, what it is that they're exploring mm -hmm. as an artist and how you're visually going to help them. So you want to talk a little bit about some of the narrative work that you've done? When I was back at Biola, I did a thesis film called Birthday in a Dark Room. And that was mm. like a exploration of self at the time for me. Like I was his a mixture of journal writings and um, I actually kind of originally wrote it as like a play. Because mm. as I was telling you, like I was, I was theater, a theater yeah. kid. Mm -hmm. So I was very familiar with like, like less than a, looking at screenplay, it was more familiar for me to look at a play. So I just wrote... A bunch of ideas down and then that turned into a play and i was going to do it as like a little play and then uh i sort of started showing it to friends and stuff and they were like you should probably make this a, your senior project <laughs> so that one that one turned into a short when i came out of biola i was like hungry to do more narrative but as a lot of film students might find like as you leave film school it's just like oh how do i get the resources to make anything, right. you know, you're yeah. now you're on your own and getting narrative off the ground is the hardest. Cause it's like, who's going to fund gonna it if you don't for, have yeah. mm -hmm. like some proven track record or you're in the your foot in the door already kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. So selling a script is a lot of people's like first way to go, you know? But, um, for me, I was like, 
more as capital D director, lowercase s screenwriter, I guess is the way I would see myself. Like I, I was like, okay, well I'm not gonna like turn out a bunch of specs and go sell something right now. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of started experimenting with form a little bit, I guess. Like, I mean, that's again, I, I feel like experimentation is kind of like keep what I keep going back to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a short in, let's see, 2017, I think. Um, it was called 46 Blocks. And that was born of me living in downtown LA mm. and witnessing the homeless community and the just the housing crisis. Like mm. in the 2016, 2017 time, it was pretty bad. It's even worse now. But at the time I was just like, it was just right in front of my face. You know, I would walk every day down third street, down through the financial district and end up over at a coffee shop. It was kind of my route and I would, go with my roommate sometimes and sometimes I'd go alone and I would just walk down, work from the coffee shop, come back. And just the things I would encounter on a day-to-day basis were insane. I was just like kind of compelled to write this story about um, somebody that feels like they want to do something about this crisis or about homelessness or somebody that the human that they see on the street and they go back and tell their roommate that they did all these things. And then they find out at the end, that they didn't do any of them. So it was kind of this whole thing mm. of passiveness and mm. how we're often, especially in LA, like we're passing somebody on the street and you, I don't know if, if anyone else feels this way, but I often get into the like, what ifs of like, if I had done something or what, what how do my actions like split into a million trees of possibilities of like, and is it positive or negative if I'm mm. to do this or that, mm. you know? So that was kind of where my head was at at the time. And then I didn't write anything. I actually like, I maybe made a note like in my phone and then I didn't write anything. And then I was like on endless jobs traveling and I was in New York a lot at the time. I was working for a painter, but I would do all her like Hmm. video capture. And so I was traveling for this painter going around and I was in New York and I had all these actor friends that had moved up to New York and Sundance had this like ignite competition pop up. And so it motivated me to be like, oh, let's make a short. And we basically sat down, like the, all the people I knew that wanted to be in it. And I told them the idea. And then I was like, okay, here's how we're gonna do it. Cause we don't have a script. We're gonna go, we only have tonight. And so I was like, we're gonna go around the city tonight. Adam, my friend was the like the lead actor. He was the, the main character and then we had this other guy that I met that night that was his friend, David, who dressed up like this housing houseless person, you know, so um, and had an acoustic guitar. And the whole idea was like they meet on the street and Adam takes him around to all these like he takes him first to get pizza and then he takes him to um, like this nice hotel and, and books like first they go to a, like a, a retail spot. He buys mm-hmm. them some clothes. Then they go to a hotel and then he, he buys them a room for the night and then he walks home and he walks through Times Square. So we kind of had a rough idea of where we're going to go. And we just did all this, but I shot it like a doc. Like I just let them be mm-hmm. in character the whole time. So even on the subway, like going into the city, we were in character and I was getting shots of Adam. And then when we got, I sort of set them up, staged it, and then I just let them like interact and I would just shoot as much as I could of each area and we'd move, move, move. And then once we were done shooting in Times Square, like we'd finished our like trail, you know, that I had kind of like mapped out, we went back to their apartment and then I had Adam and uh, Sarah, his friend, act opposite him. And I I had them do like a improvised conversation 
where Adam recounted the events of the night and they dialogued about it and they're both mm -hmm. trained actors. So they right. were able to like carry on a, a pretty convincing dialogue that he did all these things. But then the ending of the film, I had him record, like I had another like alt thing where I had him say like, or she says something along the lines of like, you didn't walk 46 blocks. And he's like, I, I did. I just walked 46 blocks. And she's like, you're not even sweaty. You know? And he's mm. like, he's like, you're yeah. And, She's like, so you, you didn't do any of that stuff, did you? And he's like, no. And then it just ends. Mm. So we basically had like him recount all the things that he experienced and what it meant to him. And then you kind of realize it was all just sort of a fantasy and he was just sort of like on the train the whole time. But it was this weird experimental way of getting there and definitely didn't have a script. So it was like, I was trying That's to really cool. kind of yeah. like play with form a little bit, using some of the theater roots, using, you know, really relying on the actors to sort of like bring mm -hmm. to life these characters. And it definitely worked. I mean, like we, I, I was proud of that little thing. It was definitely like a lo-fi kind of doc style short. I'm really interested in like ways to get realism, you know? So that was like a totally different departure from Birthday in a Dark Room, which was really scripted and really just beat by beat, like rehearsed. You know, and this was like, <laughs> we're going to record, we're going to, we're going to do a thing and then you're going to talk about the memory of doing it. And then we're going to make that a short, you know, and that, be, that basically that conversation became the narrative anchor mm. for the short. So the dialogue between the two of them is sort of like what we keep going back to and that ties it together. So it doesn't just feel like this weird random documentary yeah. of people walking around the streets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, so those that. those were like two projects that kind of happened, and then um, but since then I've been writing um, a horror short, and I've been working on some on a feature. So I have a feature, yeah. and they're totally unrelated, but they're both horror. So yeah. I've been diving into horror in the writing world for a while, and haven't actually directed any of that yet. So that'll be an interesting kind of next step for me. Yeah, I actually really like horror. Uh, there's a very, I don't know, horror is so primal. And it, you know, it draws all these emotions out of you. And I think there's also like a lot of cool things you can do with it, like the supernatural. You can go, yeah. It's just like I just, I just love the the thrill aspect of like, you know, who did it? Who committed the crime? Is it a ghost? Is it a, is it a person? Like what's going on? And like that whole yeah. mystery unraveling. And a lot of it's also psychological too, which I also love mm -hmm. psychological thrillers. And you have a lot of that in horror as well. Yeah, That's for it. me, like I was drawn into film a lot through the horror genre. Mm. Um, I grew up watching Hitchcock movies. Um, you know, I watched a lot of M. Night Shyamalan growing up. Yep. Like his <laughs> movies were coming out, you know, like mm -hmm. in, when I was in my youth and stuff. So, yeah, I was always really fascinated by the idea of having like what you're talking about, that primal instinct kind of getting activated. I didn't think of it that way when I was young. But now knowing how psychologically like film genres work, you know, it's actually really similar to comedy mm. when you're writing horror, you're, you're writing kind of like, you know, touching on the truth of things and skirting around it. And also like, it's that primal fear that really anchors it. Whereas like in comedy, the, you're laughing because you're uncomfortable, similar yeah. in horror, you're <laughs> afraid because you're uncomfortable or you yeah. might be laughing, people might be laughing in a horror film um, because they are uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's really just that dread and that, you know, I really like that tone and how you can explore that and how you can kind of like make people think about things like you said, like the supernatural or thinking deeper even about like, like what Jordan Peele's doing, you know, with mm -hmm. like big discussions in culture that need to happen and how you can kind of like plant those in genre and have those be a vehicle. So I'm super interested in that. Like that's, that's like, I love genre storytelling. I, I like 
that's like to me like one of the coolest things it's like you have these different traditional styles of telling stories and the genre isn't i don't see it as like a box i almost see it more as like a focus like like you can kind of do something really strong with a genre because it's like that's the type of thing that people get like with a whodunit you know like right. you can explore a mystery and it leaves so much room for surprise and i don't know i think there's just a lot to be explored in genre filmmaking in general you know like horror is just like one one vehicle that you know can it can either be done really cheaply or really high budget and right. you know that's another thing that's really interesting about it too yeah and a lot of directors start out doing horror you know like then, then they'll move into something that, like i'm thinking like sam raimi or scott derrickson like they, start, yeah. they do horror then they move in and then do other things too but like totally. it's a good i think it's a good starting ground, especially for like a first feature or first film like you said because it is it is cheaper and then also i think it also plays well like internationally too like horror is like a yes. very like you know comedy sometimes is tricky because like it's funny here in, in america but then other countries it's like oh we don't really get it but right. i think horror is one of those things that's very universal like we all get scared and it's yes something yeah. lurking off camera or yeah. like on the edge of frame mm -hmm. or even just a character reacting to something really scary is like a universally emotional f feeling that yeah. any audience will understand it's like it's like a yeah, it's like a language that's universal, mm. like music, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I think it's Stanley Kubrick that has that quote, cinema is more like music and less like fiction. Mm. And I actually like adhere to that a lot because like, if, I don't know if you think about it, like when you're watching a movie, it's not the same as like when you're reading a novel where you're analytically connecting all these dots and you're seeing, you're, you're seeing inside this character's head and you're understanding their thought process and where they're going. Like while you're watching a film, maybe you are, maybe mm -hmm. you're getting some of that context, but maybe you're not. And maybe you're, you're intentionally being left out of con the context of the situation. Right. Or, you know, just even the idea of how, like when you put two shots together, it's like one, the, the, the editing thing of like one plus one equals three, like the, the thing that it informs, informs it yeah. informs mm -hmm. the other thing, you know? So with movies, like there's just so much opportunity. It's similar to like how music affects us where you're just feeling something as you're seeing it. And horror is a perfect example of that. Like you, you just go on a ride when you go to, when you go see a really scary movie in theaters, you're just taken on a ride. You know, it's, it's like a thrill that some people really hate and some people really enjoy, you know? <laughs> yeah. But Jordan Peele, for example, is like doing it in a way where it's, sometimes it's not even extremely scary, but it's just the commentary that's packaged in there that's so powerful. Yeah, social commentary. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. which I think that's like so cool. The fact that you can have like high bar, high brow, sorry, high mm -hmm. brow horror and I guess low brow horror, but maybe both of them, high brow and low brow are like at the same, at time, same time yeah too you yeah. know so yeah i've always been really drawn into that and like that was that was like for me from as a kid you know i was always trying to like sneak away and watch scary movies i wasn't supposed to watch too <laughs> and stuff you know like i remember when the ring came out mm -hmm. and like there was like a sleepover at my house and my sisters had it on with all their friends and i was definitely not supposed to be watching it but i was watching the ring i was i was watching it like <laughs> through a reflection of a mirror and i was terrified <laughs> but i was just like this is so crazy that this movie has so much power over this like group of people right now you know mm. and that one was like iconic because you have the tv fuzz and you know and right. so like watching it at home on a tv is like the scariest way to watch it yeah. you know yeah um and that's you know that's just the power of of movies but horror specifically it's like you know it's it takes you somewhere dark and that's not something that we like 
as a culture go intentionally go do very often you know right. like talk about death talk about sex talk about you know edgy subjects or things that you know racism like those mm -hmm. those are the things that like a little we more hide. taboo yeah yeah mm -hmm. and so like horror does i think it's really cool that it, it's like a genre that's uh intentionally like g you know going there and actually drawing lines between dark and light and showing you kind of like the gray too mm. you know like flannery o'connor books are like so interesting for that reason because mm. it's like you're you're literally like the grotesque is in your face and it causes the something in the viewer to, or the in her case like the reader to really confront that darkness and question it and deal with it because it's now in your face you know that trauma maybe isn't something you've experienced in life or maybe it is but whatever it does is like by bringing it to the surface you're now forced to deal with it rather than you know just kind of pretending everything's okay all the time you know yeah Maybe uh, you can tell me a little bit some of the advice that you've gotten over the years. I think some of the best advice I've gotten from people is to just do rather than to talk. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly if it's come from just one source, but I've seen it modeled a lot from like, mm -hmm. mentors and figures I look up to. Okay, so here's a good one, actually. This is a good advice. So there's a guy named Calder that is a production designer that has come out to own our OMG camps, and he's an artist but he works in movies. And what, there was a specific instance where I was building a prop for an OMG video. So like a kid directed music video that we were doing. Mm. And I was quickly trying to build like a TV out of cardboard. And I look over and they're shooting it already with Calder's TV that he built out of cardboard. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was literally cutting, I was putting this together. And then like at lunch, I sat down next to him and I was like, hey, like that was crazy. I was building a TV, you were building a TV, you finished it quicker. like. <laughs> I was like, and then he was like, yeah, man. He's like, well, the, the thing that I've learned in this industry is that like, it's not a prop if it's not ready for camera. Mm. And I was like, it just got me thinking where it's like, sometimes you have to think on your feet. Sometimes you have to be ready to just get in front of the camera and be making it while the camera's rolling. Sometimes, you know, it's like this medium is a very fast paced and extremely hands-on medium. And I think it's easy sometimes for us to get stuck up here and think about perfectionism and try to spend a lot of time getting something ready to go on camera. But I mean, this can apply to all kinds of things. Like yeah. it can apply to acting, it can apply to, you know, DPing, whatever. You know, if you can be like, like pr your process can be like active and hands-on and be in motion with the collaborators around you and really trusting that, that's where really cool stuff gets made. But the minute you start trying to like check the boxes on the shot list or just going back to the very like, you know, analytical way of filmmaking. I feel like for me, at least that's where it starts to fall apart a little bit because yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that makes a total sense. Yeah. yeah. I think that's even applicable to just life in general. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to always be ready to go. It's like if it's like if you're if you're not ready to go then it doesn't there's no point in it. It doesn't it's not going to change. It's not going to do anything. So if, if, if it's showtime and you're not ready, it doesn't matter how much you prepared beforehand if yeah. you're not there. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's really just like an analogy to say like you just always be in the moment, yeah. you know? It's yeah. it's like a, a performer needs to be in, ready to perform at any given moment and actors need to be in character. Like, it's the same kind of thing, but I feel like it's easy to forget that in film when you're like, oh, you know, the light needs to be here and like, it doesn't look like my mood board and you know, whatever. And like, it, it's just to let that go and be like, we're creating something right now. This is what it's gonna be, you know? Yeah. This 
this is what it looks like and we can how can we make this better you know Mm -hmm. do we need to throw a plant in there do we need to like (laughs) you know do we need to haze it up a little bit more but like whatever we're doing it's like we're already doing it and you know i think that kind of think on your feet mentality of creating is something that i don't know if it's trained i think it's just something that's that's like learned by like what calder was saying like he learned that early on Mm. That a prop's not a prop if it's not ready for the camera. Because <laughs> he probably made a lot of stuff that wasn't ready for camera. And then he was like, oh, I just spent hours laboring over this thing. It's not even in the shot. It's not even going to be in the cut now. It's not going to go down the pipeline of being in the film. Yeah. Um, so, you you know, someone like him is just someone that I was like, how do you do this? Because he was literally like taking cardboard and like as he was moving it, he was putting tape on it. It was just like things were mm. becoming props like in just seconds, you know, <laughs> and it's just, he just got used to working that way, you know, where yeah. it's like, it, it's got to be ready, you know, ready for the camera and the camera's already moving towards me. So, right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's excellent advice. Do you have any regrets in your life as far as maybe like your career or uh, and then maybe how have you learned or taken those regrets and, you know, made it work for you? I think comparison is like a super um, dangerous territory mm. in film. And I think it's gotten, it's set me back. So I think for me, like, I don't really call it a regret, but I think I've spent a lot of time looking at my peers and being like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be doing that mm. Um, mm. in film specifically. And, you know, we're also in an age of, social media and how the, yeah. I, I don't even know if we have the statistics yet to tell us how much it's affected us yeah. and our perception of ourselves by having it constantly being reflected outwardly onto our social lives on the internet. So like there is this aspect of like comparison that happens naturally. And, it, and this isn't just in filmmaking, it, you know, it's people's self image all the time. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's definitely affected me in terms of what I wanna be creating as a creative person and losing sight of that and getting wrapped up in my head, getting down depressive rabbit holes of thinking like, this isn't, I'm not good enough at this or they're doing it better or how are they already here when I'm just barely here, just barely starting. Yeah. And that, and I, I would say that like, that's probably mental gymnastics has set me back. Mm. And that's like a hard process of getting beyond that and going like, wait a second, I never came out here to do that anyway. Mm. So like, why am I even looking at it? You know? Yeah. So I think that that's just, um, a constant learning process, you know, but like in terms of regrets, I guess I would look at it as like, I've probably wasted a lot of time trying to, um, match my peers or do, do what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, at the end of the day, like, well, this podcast is about, you know, telling stories is really why we're here and yeah. our own unique stories are something that no one else is going to tell. So that's really the assignment, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's like not being other people and not comparing yourself. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. And especially in this industry, because yeah. I think it's like it's very competitive. It's very uh, image based. And, you know, sometimes it's really easy to start believing other people's narrative that they're spewing their own publicity that they're so good at putting out. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm not there yet. And yeah. that's that's a dead zone you can't go there because like the reality is like you're you're setting out to do something completely different and every every single filmmaker is every single writer is setting out to do something completely different like we're all on our own our journeys yeah, yeah if you wanted to yeah. write that t- x tv show or whatever like that somebody already did so yeah. you know you're not you're not setting out to make the next x you're setting out to make the first of you and I think that's just like a really tricky thing as any artist to kind of step out and be like, there's also that question of ego of like, do I 
should I be stepping out to tell my story? Is mm-hmm. my story really what people need right now? And there's, I think those types of things are also snags that I've gotten myself into being like, mm-hmm. is it the moment for me to say this? Is it the moment for me? And you know, it's just another form of overthinking, you know? Yeah. And yes, not to say there isn't stories that I probably shouldn't tell or stories that I shouldn't be like putting on a pedestal. If you have an, uh, that like buzz to do something specific or really like feel compelled to tell a certain kind of story or make a certain kind of work of art, yeah. you know, you really got to follow that because yeah. it's your intuition telling you that it's not anyone else. So like, yeah, just trusting that inner voice and, and just spiritually trusting yourself mm-hmm. and going like deeper in to that instinct is something I've been working on for like the last year and a half and trying to, to listen to intuition even more. Cause that's really like, that's the true North that you have to follow. Yeah. And like, I feel like God gives everyone like inspiration and like our creative, like zeitgeist, you know? And, and I right. think changes everything because you're not, and you're not striving. You're not like, Oh, I can't, but you're just like trusting yourself. It's like, okay. Yeah. I feel like this is really what I need to do. And like you were saying before, just like you go for it, go all out, you yeah. know, don't, don't half step. Don't be like one foot in, one foot out. Like you just got to like put everything you have into it and just go for it. And that's when you're able to accomplish things that most other people are not going to be able to accomplish. Yeah. Like you doing this podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You have to just do what you know you're good at and what you know you're set out to do. And yeah, like the zeitgeist is a culture defined thing. If you're Mm. trying to hit the zeitgeist, I think you're hitting a moving target that like Mm. is already a, you know, so there's something to like your your individuality and your voice. It's been predetermined. You're here for a reason. If you're a storyteller, yeah. really like sinking into that and going like, what is it that I what? Why did I wake up in the morning still mm. wanting to be a filmmaker today? Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't why don't I want to go research sustainable gardening so I can help <laughs> the world with food or something? You know what I mean? Like there's and those types of things get on my mind all the time where I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a very curious person. So like I'm always you know, diving into new hobbies and interests, but I have, I, there's been never been a a hobby or an interest of mine that's taken up as much of my brain as filmmaking has, because it's kind of like the biggest challenge of all is, you know, making film for me is like of, of all the arts, it's the all encompassing art form, you know, that, that really like brings together all the arts. So obviously something I'm, if I have that much interest in it, it's something I'm set out to do and I'm I'm here to do, you know? So I feel like, you know, just going for it and and really just trusting that you're here for a reason to do it is like the, the hardest part. And I I don't, like I said, I don't know if I would call it a regret because I'm still doing it, Mm -hmm. but there has been a lot of moments of not trusting my own self. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good. Good life lesson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day too, you're an entrepreneur if you're a filmmaker. Yeah. So you have to get used to failure and mm-hmm. you have to get used to accepting that failure is teaching you something. And I think that that's something that like really was difficult for me, you know, like moving out to, to LA and then realizing like I, you know, I, I'm a grassroots filmmaker you know i don't have like i'm not from like a trust fund or anything like that so right. I, I i came out like with a pretty big dream with a a lot of work to ahead of me to figure it out and it's like building a business you know mm-hmm. you truly have to you have to go okay well how am i gonna fund this venture like if you're gonna make a short film where's the money gonna come from to make that short is there like legs for it to turn into a feature what's that what's the goal with the short and so you really have to have a lot of forecasting and visioning that you're doing just for the business side of things mm. alongside of the, the storytelling yeah. itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just like a lot to learn 
in and and it's important to stay open to all those things and bring in collaborators that can help you where you're not good at maybe like a skill right so there's always somebody that can kind of come in alongside you and help make what you're doing even more rock solid mm. that's another thing i guess if i have a regret too it's that like i think i just in the last couple of years have been really valuing building a team of mm. people and i think for a while i was trying to like i don't know what i was trying to prove but just individually i was trying to like do everything myself i was trying to edit i was trying to direct i was trying to pitch i was like yeah. shooting you know and it's just no <laughs> like these are i mean it's good to learn these things don't yeah. get me wrong you know this is skills that like i'll take with me but but yeah, um, you're just one person just one person yeah. and like the team the just the team quality of like having like yeah. somebody else that's sharing this baby with you is going to help you so much more when you get to that like last you know 10 percent which is like the hardest part yeah yeah. And you really got to push it over the finish line. And you, if you're just alone, like I've been there, you know, I've been there on like documentary thing I did one time. It took me like six months in the edit. And it was just like, you know, half of it was in Spanish and I don't, I'm not fluent in Spanish. So I had oh, to send wow. it off for translation and yeah. stuff. I was like, it was also during COVID that I was editing this thing and I was just in a silo. And mm. I was, I was like, this can't be it. You know, like, um, you know, shooting, it was really like communal. Cause I went out to Mexico and filmed this whole thing. But then in COVID I was alone editing it in a room for six months. And I was, I really had a moment of realizing like, yeah, I, I don't want to do filmmaking in a bubble. Like I don't want to do filmmaking in my own silo. This is a communal art form that I want to be in, you know, in community with people creating right. something yeah. at every step of the way. Yeah. Script to Final export, <laughs> you know, <laughs> need those collaborators. You need those people to bounce off of. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Like, what's the what's your goal? While I was back in film school, like around the time I met you at Biola, I was thinking five to 10 years from now, yeah, you know, I'll be, you know, directing a feature. Yeah. Know? <laughs> but I was also in my head, I think at the time I was like, oh, I'll probably be like making music videos in LA. Mm. So there's this like realistic side of me too, though. Where I'm like, I'm kind of doing exactly what I thought I would have been doing mm. five years ago, five to 10 years from now. I don't know. Like, I think I would, I want to be definitely more involved in the narrative space. I, mm -hmm. I'm more interested now in television than I ever was. So I've been thinking about yeah writing for series and stuff more too. I think I want to be more involved in the industry as a writer and not just as a director, but I've been spending a lot of time building up my directing chops so I can hopefully direct the things I write. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the trajectory for me is like I want to be I want to be more of a career writer than I am now, making writing more of a priority and mm. I could be in LA. I I could also see myself in another film city like Mexico Atlanta, City or New or York yeah. or something yeah. like that. I've always thought it'd be cool to like move out to like Mexico City for a year and do mm. film there or move to New York for a year and do film there. But I think at the end of the day, like LA will be like a home for what I do. Yeah. So five to 10 years from now, who knows? Maybe have a family, maybe yeah. settle down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, film film isn't my whole life. Yeah. But, no, I, I think yeah. that's great. Like I tell people all the time, it's like your career is not your life. It's your friends, your family, like that's really important yeah. too. And you don't want to like be so focused on a career that you forget yeah it can take things, over yeah. It, and yeah. i've learned that too the hustle mm -hmm. you know as we call it and like how toxic that can be you know just yeah. getting letting it completely consume you so yeah i guess like i want to be a little bit more chill in five ten years <laughs> <laughs> have like more narrative projects that i'm maybe making money and selling you know and actually being able to like do that as a as a not just as a passion project but as something that supports me because yeah i think at the end of the day like the 
the storytelling that I'm learning with music videos and the experimentation I'm doing with music videos, I've been viewing that as an exercise mm -hmm. to get stronger at my filmmaking chops and be able to take that with me in a narrative. Um, commercials will always be there as a, um, you know, a hustle. Right. It's like commercial world is like the ad world never rests. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> They're always making ads. Yeah. But that's not my ambition. You know, like commercial directing is, is really fun and I do enjoy it. So I'm going to be probably doing more of that in the next five years too. But mm -hmm have a lot of narrative ideas in me too that I would love to see hit the screen. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been such a, such a fun talk we've had and totally learning so much and yeah, it's getting that different perspective on things. So yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks Nathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you're not, you're not big on Instagram, but like actually, yeah, well yeah. on Instagram is probably the best way. Okay. Um, my Instagram handles Jeff Pross and then my website is www.jeffpross.com so perfect those are where you can find most of the work or what i'm up to awesome cool man well thanks again appreciate it and thank you guys for watching and make sure you subscribe to the channel and we will see you guys next time mm -hmm.